The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Steve Grosso, and Guy Dami. Tonight on Fast, check out shares of Snap getting absolutely annihilated in the after-hour session following its earnings report down about 17% on disappointing revenues. We've got full team coverage as that conference call kicks off right now. Julia Borson's in L.A. Fast Money friend Gene Munster is manning the red phone from Minneapolis. We'll check in with both of them later on. Plus, Amazon taking no prisoners, launching two new furniture brands and crushing the big furniture stocks. We'll tell you just how bad it could get in the stocks that could be next. And later, the online travel stocks getting killed today, but there's one name in the travel space that's bucking the trend, and Jim Cramer just spoke to the CEO. He'll join us live. But first, we start off with a story captivating both Wall Street and Washington taxes. The GOP making a big push for its plan, but some members are jumping ship ahead of the vote, and the markets are starting to take notice. Let's get straight to Eamon Javers for the very latest. Eamon. Yeah, hi, Melissa. A couple of problems here to monitor as we go into the release of the Senate version of this tax bill later on in the week. First of all, is when we're going to get it. We had a little bit of a wobble earlier today when Mitch McConnell came out and said the bill's not going to be ready Thursday. It's going to be Friday. That caused a lot of head scratching until McConnell's office clarified that he misspoke, and it's going to be out on Thursday as planned. So nothing to worry about there. But Senator Ted Cruz earlier today uh, raising some of the issues that are concerning some Republican senators here. And this is something to monitor. The state and local tax deduction issue is one that Cruz said concerns him because it means that not everybody will get a tax cut. In fact, some people on the individual side might get a tax hike. He said he thinks that's a problem. Here's what he said earlier today. Much of the pushback you're seeing to the House plan right now, the business side is terrific, but there are some taxpayers who are losing exemptions, particularly in some high-tax states like New York or California, that could conceivably be paying higher taxes. I think that is a mistake. I think tax reform needs to cut taxes for everybody. The other thing Ted Cruz said today is that he likes the idea of repealing Obamacare's individual mandate to buy health insurance as part of the tax bill. That would seem to increase the level of complexity of all of this because you're bringing all those ugly Obamacare politics into what is already the difficult politics of tax reform. Uh, Ted Cruz, though, saying he likes it because you get about $400 billion worth of savings against the score, and you can use that money for other purposes. There are, by our count, as many as five Republican senators here they are, who support this idea of bringing, the, bringing in the Obamacare mandate into this debate. That's one uh, that's going to be fascinating to see where that lands, because ultimately uh, that could add complexity or it could get them the savings that they need. Uh, not clear how that all shakes out, but we will see this bill now, we are told reliably, on Thursday. Melissa? 
Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers in Washington. And we said before, the markets are starting to notice. This is what we mean. Small caps, which would benefit arguably the most from tax reform, sinking more than 1% today, having its worst day, in fact, since August. The big department stores getting hit as well. Macy's, JCPenney, Kohl's, Nordstrom, all sinking as retailers, in theory, could benefit from more people having more money in their pockets. And finally, the banks, the worst performing sector today, down nearly 1.5% as the interest rate environment continues to deteriorate. So are these groups of stocks telling us that tax reform is a no-go guy. I still think tax reform gets jammed through, but mm. on a day like today where the S&P is flat, market's flat, you know, everything seems to be fine if you just look at the headlines. You have the Russell down a percent and a half. That's concerning, and we've said all along, i got to be consistent. If the Russell starts to roll over, maybe it's telling a story. What's more alarming, that's probably the wrong choice of words, what's more interesting to me is the fact that Bonds stay stubbornly bid, and this yield curve twos to tens, and Tim can speak to this, at levels we haven't seen in a decade. Again, maybe not a big deal, but the speed with which it's getting there, to me, is something to take note of. Yeah, by, by the way, I mean, I have to feel, I mean, when I hear Ted Cruz, uh, a Republican from Texas, a low-tax state. Standing up for New Yorkers and Californians. Yeah. Yeah. I have questions, but we don't have time to get into it. Jim <laughs> Hay will probably be able to do that later in the show. Um, Guy points, points to what's going on with the yield curve. I, I would just make an argument. We've gone from 135 to 68 on the yield curve aggressively, I would say almost nonstop since December. So this didn't happen overnight. I would also point to the Fed, who I think, uh, yes, we got some uncertainty out of the way. Now we have more uncertainty. I mean, and again, Bill McDonough retiring, um, a dramatic flattening of the curve since the two events of a new Fed chair and Bill McDonough. I think that's very important. I also think Mario Draghi went on yet another dovish tirade today, which is not good for lower rates in Europe, which hit three-month lows, which puts more pressure on our bond market, which puts more pressure on the long end of this curve. I wouldn't overdo it um, because, you know, we were saying a few weeks ago there was no tax cuts priced into this market. So what, what are we saying? I think the fixed income market is falling trends. I think they're not all, I mean, they're not all yeah. uh, priced in, but obviously today's action was all tax-related or the, the, or the headwind of tax policy not changing. You, you, it's, it's almost undeniable. I don't think they get something passed. I, do, I, I think it's dead. I think there's too many things, whether it's the interest mortgage deduction, whether it's property tax cuts, there are too many things to argue about. They keep bringing this bat tax back mm-hmm. in some way, shape, or form. Not going to happen. I don't think taxes, uh, anything substantive, I don't think happens. I think it's, yes, a negative for the markets. The markets will probably absorb it. But the bigger issue, Tim touched on it. What about rates? Does this give the ability to say maybe they don't go? And I, I've been in the camp of maybe they do not raise interest rates in December. Maybe I know it's a ninety-two percent. So, so why? I, 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 I think they've gone from one twenty-eight to one sixty-two since September. That's telling me they think the Fed's going to be more aggressive, not less. Yes, they do, and the Fed sees that. So my point to you is, when we were at eighty-five percent chance, two days after that, we dropped to seventy percent. So the fact that we're ninety-two percent, all I'm saying is, throw it out there. There's a possibility they well, don't raise. Well, so so here's the deal. What we're talking about is just a massive amount of uncertainty right now. So is it tax reform or lack of tax reform? Probably yes. Is it maybe that the yield curve is going lower, is is flattening out? Yes. You look at copper, that's starting to roll over. That was leading yields on the way up. So there's just so much uncertainty now when the market's at all-time highs, all-time high valuations, that why would you invest that extra dollar today? Now, if we get some kind of sell-off on a tax reform, I actually think that's a buying opportunity because it's just taking a little bit of the expectation 
out of the market. So until proven, until the economy starts to roll over, I think you buy dips at this point well, in time. Wait, hang on one second. But we are not, this is not groundbreaking right now. We are at all-time highs. So this this dip, even if it was, that's why well, I'm... true, I'm, right. That's why, that, that, we should put it in that's perspective. That's why I'm, full, I'm fully invested. I remain fully invested. I didn't get spooked. There is, there is a part of me that wants to lighten up. Trust me, there is. But that's been the wrong choice so all along. You're sticking, sticking with it. You're sticking with your investments. Right. You know, what's interesting is that we saw these idiosyncratic moves... I mean, specific moves that we highlighted at the top of the show on the back of this notion that tax reform won't go through. The stocks that sold off on the notion that tax reform could go through and actually hurt them did not actually come back. And I'm talking about names like the home builders. You know, the, they didn't really respond. So how, how would Since we... how do you wrap your head around yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. And then how do you wrap behind your head with utilities trading as well as they've traded? And we never, we do in a so long time. Mm. If we've talked about advanced decliners and the breadth of the market a dozen times on the show, it's a lot. But it's worth pointing out today that it basically in all-time 13? highs, this is 13. Yeah, yeah, lucky yeah. 13. Yeah. But effectively, you know, all-time highs for the markets, you had one of the most miserable advanced decline days in terms of breadth that we've seen in quite some time with decliners far outweighing Well, we've said advances. that. We said, you know, outside of last week was an extraordinary week for mega cap tech, mega mega cap yeah. tech, but that below the surface of that, it, it really wasn't a market that you felt great about. And again, it's a market that's getting through an extraordinary earnings season. It's getting through a market that's been given these little these little nuggets of hope from Washington, which really are hard to get too hopeful on. Uh, you've had some dynamics, whether it's been hurricanes that have also been constructive. You removed North Korea. And so, boom, now what do we do? And I think that's what Guy's talking about. So are we in a yeah. consolidation period or are I think we we're in a rolling over? I, I think we're in a consolidation period. Until we get a much higher dollar, which I think at some point could come, if we get the front end of the yield curve two years and under, continue to go higher, you get a higher dollar, that starts to take out a lot of the reason that you're in U.S. stocks at these valuations. So until that really starts to happen, I think it's just a correction or just a consolidation phase. All right. Our next guest says there could be another big obstacle to tax reform on the horizon. A government shutdown. Jim Vandehei is the co-founder of Axios. He joins us here at the NASDAQ. Jim, great to see you in person. Good to be here with y'all. Let's first deal with the tax reform question and then talk about the government shutdown issue. Do you really think that tax reform could get through? I wouldn't call it tax reform. I think tax cuts will get through. I think they get through in Q4. Probably not. Q1 of next year, I think, Mm -hmm. is the most likely outcome. Uh, The reason I don't share your pessimism is that the way they wrote the budget, they allow themselves to go into the deficit to $1.5 trillion. That's a lot of money to play with. And you have the Republican Party unified in wanting to do something on tax cuts. And when you're giving people something, it's just a lot easier to do politically than take something away. And even the fights that they're having, are, to me, are on the margins. Philosophically, they're on the same place in terms of what you should do with the rate structure on the individual side, what you should do with the corporate structure. So. There'll be lots of ups and downs, and you guys will interpret uh, what that means uh, for the markets in the short term. But long term, I do think that that ultimately does get done. And I think that that obviously will have a positive effect on the market. In some ways, I felt like the markets have been assuming like a very robust tax reform package for some time and probably undervaluing a longer term uh, political risk, which is I don't think people fully appreciate how much volatility there is in politics, which ultimately I think will echo Uh, into the markets. You're going to see it, I think, tonight in this Virginia race. You're just seeing 
a level of polarization that each and every year only intensifies. And I think it makes governing that much harder and outcomes that more wildly unpredictable. So I think once you get through tax reform, people are going to start to focus on that reality. And I do think that's going to affect a lot of business decisions and ultimately will affect a lot of market decisions. So seeing the forest of the trees, the notion that some senators are debating this, the SALT deduction, some senators, five senators want to reintroduce the Obamacare mandate, which could get very messy and kind of complicated. That doesn't phase you in terms of your outlook for it uh, being passed, cuts that is being passed in the first quarter. Ted Cruz, yeah. lots of people want to do lots of things. Yeah. We all do it in life. But at the end of the day, they're going to try to figure out what can you actually get into this tax package uh, to get it through. They might end up repealing the individual mandate, largely for what Eamon was talking about, because it does free up more money, which then gets you around some of these debates about deductions that you're getting rid of or how far you might cut an individual uh, rate. The problem, the reason I think it ultimately isn't part of the package is the politics of health care are just more complicated, I think, than the politics of tax reform. And when you look at everyone keeps talking about this only being a Republican bill, it's going to be mostly a Republican bill. If you listen to what those Democrats who are up in Trump country in the Senate are saying, I think they are winnable. I think someone like Joe Manchin in West Virginia could easily end up voting for this tax package as long as they don't overly complicate it or overly politicize it. And I think that's where President Trump is. And I think that's where the vast majority of the Republican Party are. So I'm curious about the volatility that you're talking about politics. Because typically the markets don't want, want Washington to do much, right? We get right. through tax return reform or tax cuts, and then you have a situation where they're not going to do much, and maybe they're not going to add any regulations, they're not going to do anything like that. To me, that would be positive to, for the market. What volatility yeah. is the market not seeing that you're talking about? Look, there's two pieces at volatility. I think people underappreciate uh, how uh, the chances that we could end up in conflict with North Korea, which I think would have, obviously, massive uh, consequences for everything. That, uh, that is one a piece of the puzzle. The other is, is that when you have this much volatility, you, it often results in change in Congress, which then leads, yes, could either lead to just nothing being done, which I think the markets would be uh, fine with, but it also, uh, you have a change in the House, you increase the chances that you have impeachment or impeachment uh, proceedings, which obviously could have a, a big effect. And I just think that is the piece. And, and, and the idea, if you go, we had years where you kind of could predict what would happen in politics, or once something happened with government, you assumed it was a law of the land for good. No more. Look at all the things that Obama did are now being repealed on the regulatory side, even legislatively. They're trying to repeal it. I just think that is the new norm, and I think that's going to continue if you just look at the trend lines on what's happening with both political parties. So we're so focused on tax cuts. Yeah. Nobody is paying attention to December 8th, which is when the government spending bill expires, right? And we can face a government shutdown. Is that a reality in your view? Could that It's a reality happen? in that it's a possibility. You have to be able to fund the government. You have to keep right. it going. If you don't, there's a government shutdown. There's real disputes, obviously, between the Republican Party and the Democratic Party over everything from building the wall to funding uh, the, a couple of health care programs that need to be uh, extended. And so it's a possibility. I don't think it'll happen because, again, Republicans understand that there's only one thing that matters right now for their political survival. It is tax cuts. If they yeah, don't the Republicans get didn't hear that the first time around. It was Schumer and Pelosi that he reached out across the aisle and he brought them in yeah. to defuse that issue. Talk about the government shutdown. And that took another route. Up, which is, which right. is great. I, I actually am more positive on him reaching across the aisle than the fractured Republican Party that is worried about debt and deficits that cried about it for eight years right. trying to have a kumbaya moment around this tax plan. That's a very good point, too, because remember, there's still DACA, uh, the, the reform to that, that 
President Trump had talked about with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. There's things that kind of have to be done that I think the president would like to get done, where if he can't do it with Republicans, there is a route where you do it with a combination of Republicans and a bunch of Democrats because there's things uh, that they would like to have done. So I don't, I don't worry as much. I saw the Associated Press piece uh, raising the concern about a government shutdown. There's always a concern when you have this level of sort of dysfunction in our governance, but I don't think that ultimately happens. And I do think that then sets the, the pathway for there to be tax cuts. And it might happen this year. I think in all likelihood, just given the legislative calendar uh, and all the other things that, that the government has to deal with and all the distractions that pop up, it likely pushes itself into early next year. But I think if that happens for the Republican Party, for the markets in the short term, that's a good thing. Uh, then what happens on the other side of that, who the hell knows? Jim, thanks. Yep. Good to see you. Jim Van co-founder of Axios. So there are good things. The S&P made an all-time high today, closed unchanged on the day, right? I mean, that's yeah. a good thing. Emerging markets are still doing Six and a half year highs. unbelievably well. So they're encouraging things. The things below the surface are concerning. We mentioned the Russell. Let's quickly mention the What is the, the rollover, Mark, that you're that looking for? That bothers me. What, what, what well, would look be rolling over? Look at the airlines real quick. So yeah. the airlines bottomed in September, had a huge move into mid-October, Guess what? Very quietly, they're right back to those levels you saw in September. Something going on there. Maybe it has to do with Priceline, Expedia. I'm not sure. Worth watching. But the, again, we talked about advanced declines a few minutes ago. That's worth watching. You know, Tim talks about the internals in a certain way. I brought it up tonight. There are a lot of great stories. Right now, there's seemingly more bad stories that we don't talk about than good stories that we do. Coming up, Snap reporting earnings moments ago. The stock getting crushed after hours. CEO Evan Spiegel telling um, some, making some very curious comments about his own company. We'll tell you what he said. Plus, it's Amazon's world, and apparently we're just living in it. The company taking aim at another group of stocks, and they fell hard. Could get a lot worse tomorrow. We'll tell you what that's all about. And later, Netflix used to be the new media darling, but with Disney and Fox deal on the table, is the competition finally catching up? The markets seem to think so today. We'll tell you if any of the traders bought this dip. Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Netflix getting hit today, down more than 2%. And this is Disney Fox Talks. Put a target on the streaming giant's back. That kicks off our top trades. How worried should Netflix investors be right now, Guy? Given the run up in the stock, I, you can understand why people might be wanting to take money off the table right here. But if you would examine the last couple quarters, understanding the cash burn and the money they have to spend on content, and now that's going to have to be accelerated because of what's going on with Disney. I, I get all those things. But if you look at their growth internationally and, and the seemingly uh, willingness for people to pay the extra costs that they're associated with now, I mean, Netflix raised prices. The market didn't bat an eye until recently. I think they're fine. Now, listen, I understand why you'd want to take money off the table here. I still why think the stock's you? okay. I mean, see, th that's the point. And you've had money on the table, and it's been a great call. But, but, you know, why do we cower in the boots of Amazon in every other sector and suddenly here we don't care? Oh, and by the way, and Disney. Oh, and by the way, a few other players. I mean, with a moat that's not that deep, I realize major, maybe a major head start, but out of multiple that makes no sense, it's a distribution play. It's not a content play. Or is it? That's I don't know. I don't know if the moat's sad. The moat actually is pretty deep. I mean, to Guy's point about if they raise their prices a dollar, I don't think they would lose any subscribers at all. So I think the moat is, is actually pretty good for what they have. Now, you know, at this multiple and these interest rates and all of that is an argument that you might want to take some off the table. Sure. But until the story breaks, which I don't think the story it's is broken. It's years out from breaking, too. I mean, What's we're that? Talking, we're, it's, it's years out from breaking. When we, when we look at a Disney, if, if Disney uh -huh. comes to market with this, they're still putting their content on Netflix until 2019. 
So for us to, yes, I understand it. The, the market is a forward pricing mechanism, and no one's going to argue with taking chips off the table. With the stock but that's performed. So, so, sorry, but what happens after 2019 with your Disney content? When they're a distribution I understand, play. but this is not something. But there's a lot that could happen between now and then. We don't know what those pieces are. And when that's you say, true. you know, all these different things, Amazon Prime, it's, it's a great product. But Netflix is an amazing product. People don't bat an eye and pay it. So I do think that once people start rolling out over the top, they're going to have multiple over the top. Amazon's a great phone. product, which I don't pay for because I'm a Prime member. Yeah. But you do pay right. For it. Right, no, no, but I get a whole host of other things right. along with it, so I don't even consider it. I would That's money I would have spent anyway. Absolutely. And then I get the video service on top of you it. You say that in a braggadocious like... way. <laughs> I'm a I prime don't... member. I mean, I clearly am not. Uh, so, I listen, think your wife is, but problems. you have, have no, no idea. But My kids probably are. Probably. Anyway. Disney wasn't that big a deal for Netflix. <laughs> I mean, I'll say this at the risk of being, uh, you know, blasphemous. I think Netflix was more important to Disney than Disney was to Netflix. I'll put it out there. And I don't think Disney was inter part of the international growth for Netflix either. And that's the whole Netflix story. So I get Disney leaving seems to be a big deal. I don't think it's that big a deal. And the unfortunate part is we have to wait till January for earnings. In the meantime, a lot can happen. But I think the Netflix story is intact. Still ahead. Check out shares of Snap plunging after hours following its earnings report now down by more than 15%. Oh, 25% from its IPO price is 17 bucks. It's down 16% right now. CEO Evan Spiegel just submitted something on the call that anyone who's ever used to the app already knew. Post comments in just a moment. In the meantime, I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. There's no disguising the real deal. And there's no disguising the fact that shares of Priceline are a disaster. And there's something to suggest it could get worse. We'll explain. Plus, here's what Amazon did to shares of Williams-Sonoma and Wayfair today. And we'll tell you which stock could be next in Amazon's path when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Snap plunging in the after hours. The conference call is underway. Let's get right to Julia Borson with all the details. Julia. Hey, Melissa, you see Snap's shares down dramatically as its growth is slowing, both in terms of revenue and user growth, slowing to a less than 3% quarter-over-quarter -quarter user growth rate, which is the company's lowest ever. CEO Evan Spiegel acknowledging a fundamental problem with the app. Take a listen. One thing that we have heard over the years is that Snapchat is difficult to understand or hard to use, and our team has been working on responding to this feedback. As a result, we are currently redesigning our application to make it easier to use. Spiegel warning that redesigning the app, which they plan to do, will be disruptive to the business over the short term. And it's unclear how their users will change their behavior. But he says they're betting on the long term payoff of a redesign. Spiegel also says they're betting on content, both more professional shows and also new models for user generated content. We hope that showing the right stories to the right audience will help grow engagement and monetization for our partners and for Snapchat. While we have made significant progress in our work to empower the creation of user-generated content from friends and premium content from publishers, we have historically neglected the creator community on Snapchat that creates and distributes public stories for the broader Snapchat audience. In 2018, we are going to build more distribution and monetization opportunities for these creators. There's been a lot of talk on the call from Spiegel as well as Chief Strategy Officer Imran Khan about the impact of switching to an automated ad sales model, which they say has brought down ad prices more than 60 percent. They also say ad impressions are up over 400 percent. Spiegel saying that the fact that ads aren't diminishing engagement 
bodes well for the long term. Now, it's worth noting the tone on the call has been very measured, despite the stock being down about 16 percent. They're still in the prepared remarks. So we'll have to see how this measured tone changes in the Q&A. Back over to you. All right, Julia. Thank you, Julia Borson in Los Angeles, who's covering the SNAP conference call. Now, SNAP is a recent IPO, right? <laughs> yep. This is its third quarter as a publicly traded company. This is a third major disappointment yeah. as a publicly traded company. And there doesn't look like there's any hope on the horizon. I mean, listen, they're changing. They're saying, we're changing the app because it's hard to use, but we are going to make these changes. We don't know if anybody's going to use it still. I mean, it, it really is not the, a great said, conference call the, whatsoever. We've so. heard the uh, issues for years. It's just, hard to use. That's right. hard to use for years. This should have been something that he They've handled been working on, prior like, to. Too tough for me. I can't figure it out. I mean, no, but, but also, if you think about it, these guys, uh, their main segment is the 25 and under. Um, they've got slowing growth there. And, and you're at a place here. They're starting to talk about product innovation. We have to start. I mean, this sounds like Twitter. This sounds like a company that really hasn't even figured itself out. Now, I realize the engagement for those that are on this, they're very loyal. I mean, 40 minutes for under 25 a day, it's not bad. But advertisers can probably get most of these same people advertising on Facebook, which has Instagram. Right. And it just seems to me, why bother? DAU growth has declined from 56% to 16% Not good. ARPUs. Tim's Ar love ARPUs, guys. Arpus. Thanks for bringing that Very up. Average revenue per Can't user. Per user down. That wasn't a good number. But go back to the You mentioned this is the third quarter. Well, the last quarter they reported, the stock cratered. Within a week or so, if you recall, it mm. rallied in a pretty meaningful way. I mean, that was the stock that traded probably either side of 12 bucks. I want to say by the beginning of September, it was pushing north of 15. So what does that mean? It means although the trajectory, as Dennis Gartman said, is from the upper left to the lower right, there have been now a number of times, four to be specific, where the stock has had significant bounces off bottoms. And in my opinion, you're probably setting up for similar again. I'm not saying race out and buy tomorrow at 12 and a half bucks, but it's worth watching over the next couple of trading days. Going sure. into these earnings, it is worth noting that the stock is up 13% in the past three months. Short interest, short interest though, is 25% of shares outstanding. So yeah, probably, I mean, probably not so probably much dynamic. after tonight, right? I mean, I, I got to think there's some people covering it, but there, there doesn't seem to be any story here. We talked about Netflix and does the story break? The story hasn't right. broken here. This story's broken. Oh. They have falling user growth. They don't have a product that people want. It's hard to use. It, with, with no plan to fix it. Let's see what our friend Gene Munster mm. thinks. Oh, um, on the Gene phone. Munster, of course, of Loop Ventures. He's been listening on the, the red phone there right there. Gene, you could put that down for a minute. I want to ask you a couple <laughs> questions here. Thanks, Melissa. Um, Brian Kelly actually makes a good point. You know, has a story broken? Is this story done for Snap? I don't want to never say, never say it's done, but I think they got a really hard road ahead. And part of the reason we've, uh, they're talking a lot about the engagement here, that number's been a disappointment. But there's going to be a big investment cycle that they're going to have to go into to really evolve the product. One thing that Spiegel said on the call was that they need to make a product that appeals to an older audience. I mean, that's a really tough, they just, they own the college and high school demo, but to try to break from that. And I think what you're going to see is investors saying, wait and see. We're not going to buy this. This is the third straight quarter, and it's going to go into investment mode. So I think that we're going to be in kind of hibernation phase. But to answer your question, Melissa, I don't want to say it's over, but they got a tough road ahead. Hibernation phase for a company that's been public for less than a year. I mean, that's asking a lot of investors to, to stick with this stock, even though they missed average revenue per user estimates by 10 percent, which you say is not that bad. And some would argue that one of the main planks of their IPO roadshow was that they could reach this very, very young audience. 
I was talking to Dan Ives, a competitor, obviously, but Dan Ives, the GBH, earlier today, and he said, you know what, it, advertisers may not be that interested in that demographic anymore because the money simply is not there. I mean, would you agree with that? I would agree with that. I mean, historically, that's not where the money is. They need to expand this. They're acknowledging that on the call. The Q&A hasn't started yet, but that's going to be one of the key things I want to hear is, like, how much investment is it going to take and what's the time? So um, I don't want to um, – I think, that you know, the, the reality is this is a tough road ahead for them. There are some positive signs that 3.5 billion snaps a day, 7.5 billion people in the world, that's impressive, engaging up 40% a year. If you're interested, the average Snapchat person looks at their Snapchat feed 25 times a day. So that's some really uh, imp impressive engagement for a demo that doesn't really matter that much. And so uh, I think, again, it comes down to can they expand the addressable market? I mean, Guy looks at it at least 30 times a day, but mm. uh, clearly it's not the demographic. <laughs> um, in turn, Gene, is, is Evan Spiegel the right guy to make such a huge turnaround for Snap? I think he is. He knows the story better than ever. We see this when companies have difficult periods is that we immediately look at the CEO. I think back a year and a half ago, people were questioning whether Tim Cook should be a part of the story. And so ultimately, I think he's the right person to write the ship. It's going to take some time, cost some money, and, uh, and, and we'll see how it plays out. All right, Gene, we'll check in with you a little bit later on. Gene Munster of Loop Ventures, his thoughts on Snap. What are your thoughts on Snap at this point? So uh, Tim made the uh, analogy uh, to Twitter, and it does feel like these guys are running out of gas real early in what's supposed to be their growth segment. But when we went around the horn and we were discussing Twitter, and I'm still long Twitter, but when we went around the horn, there was always somebody that could take Twitter out, where that was at the end of the rainbow, there was right. a potential takeout. Is there anyone for Snap now? Is there anyone that really would feel no. like they need to take and, them out? And, and, and listen, and Twitter's got a bit of a unique product, right? I mean, Snap is competing against right. Instagram stories. So you have a huge, huge competitor. I would argue that Twitter doesn't necessarily have a competitor and is an easy bolt-on to something. Although I think there's always a place for an app that can put rainbow ears on you. <laughs> and, or the hot dog. And, That's and a I great point. The dancing hot I do dog. like unicorns. Great the stuff. Great hot point. Dogs. <laughs> really amazing. No, yeah. the dance. No, what was amazing? See, look, there, yeah, there right there. I mean, is that Brian? Isn't that yeah. worth? Is it's a eighteen billion dollars company? That That's worth a couple billion, billion dollars right there. Clearly, wow, it's talented. Yes. What is it doing? Then you can you could put it in any setting, so you can like snap a thing and then the hot dog. With the hot, dog, the hot yeah. dog. Drop the hot yeah. dog there. You got to go. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to talk about any no of this No patience anymore. with it. Still at <laughs> Royal Caribbean bucking the travel trend today. The cruise stock surging to new highs as online travel stocks sink. The CEO telling Mad Money's Jim Cramer his secrets to success just moments ago. We'll give you a hint. It's got something to do with millennials. Jim Cramer will join us live with those comments. Plus, Amazon strikes again. The e-commerce giant launching two furniture brands, sending retail stocks tanking today. We'll tell you how much worse it could get for that sector. Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Amazon taking no prisoners. The company launching two furniture brands today as it gears up to try and disrupt another industry. Let's get to Deidre Bosa for all the details. Hi, Deidre. Hey, Melissa. That's right. Amazon launching two new furniture brands. Rivet is the mid-century modern, more affordable line. Stone and Beam is a slightly higher-end modern line, though both are more in line with a Wayfair price point than a restoration hardware. Those companies selling off today on the news. Wayfair finishing nearly 6% lower. Restoration hardware 
off more than 3%, and Williams-Sonoma lower by about 4%. Now, Amazon announced the brands yesterday and says that it's in the process of rolling them out, so customers could see more furniture in more categories in the coming days and weeks. To start, there's a range of sofas, rugs, light fixtures, and a section dedicated to stylist picks. Furniture, though, guys, is only Amazon's latest push into private label products. It also has brands in electronics and accessories, vitamins and supplements, even baby wipes. Now, Morgan Stanley counted nearly 35 brands across nine product categories a few weeks ago. That number higher now, though, with its new furniture and its new activewear lines. It also says that Amazon's private label business could be the company's next billion-dollar profit opportunity. This is also a potential threat to other companies and industries not yet competing with Amazon. There's speculation, guys, that Amazon could create more private label brands, particularly in groceries like snack foods and consumer packaged goods, now that it has Whole Foods. Back over to you, Melissa. All right. Thank you very much, Deidre Bosa. And it's been a year of domination for Amazon since the e-commerce giant announced its deal to purchase Whole Foods back on June 16th. Stocks like Costco, Kroger, Sprouts, Walgreen, even General Mills have lost a com combined market cap of $47 billion. So will this destruction continue? Can we extrapolate what happened in that sector to what could happen to the furniture sector? It'll, it will continue as long as Amazon keeps getting a pass for not making money. And Jeff Bezos realizes that. He's out there on a wrecking ball through retail saying, you know what? I can lose money on this product, put you out of business, because my stock price will go up every single time I announce a new product line. So until that stops, Bezos is, is in charge. Is there something slightly different about this, or am I making the analogy to showrooming where we used to talk about the TVs, where what guy used to do at Best Buy? Yeah, where no, used to just go no, and look no, no, okay. no, and that's okay, no. man. It's okay. Mel does it. You I've know. done that. I, I do oh. it on Expedia. Oh, well, that's a whole other segment. But, sorry. All right. what, is, is that what you do? Like when we're no, talking about? But this is private, so you can't even showroom anywhere. No, but and what see I'm saying what is that is you, like. you could see the general idea. These are sort of the same things. I know they're private label, but. A lot of these things are replicas of something else. So mm. what, what do you do? Is this something different? Do you really need the Amazon private label, or is it a customer experience when you go I'm buy not a sure couch? you can get this price point at the, your local furniture store. 700 bucks for a sofa? Bob's Discount Furniture. Yeah. BK, tell them about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, That's where I get all my furniture. I, I think what Amazon has done in the, in the consumables space, which is what they've done with the whole food in the private, private label world, makes a ton of sense. And it really rests on their investments in ERP and logistics. Um, can they do that in the furniture space? You could argue it's the same network. Um, I would make an argument that it's uh, in, in the commoditized world of consumer products and electronics. Yes, some of that is really commoditized. It matters. Choosing furniture? I don't think so. I don't think so as much. Also, you talk about restoration hardware. Restoration hardware has already at least had one dance with the devil in the last couple of years on this very point. Is this round two? I don't know. But again, they have their own membership card. They've done a lot with their inventory. They've done a lot to try to fight off Amazon. That stock's had a massive run. That alone should be a reason for a pullback. I mean, the price points between restoration hardware versus what we're talking about on Amazon private label buyers, are yeah. very, very different. Williams-Sonoma, the Williams-Sonoma brand, but if you take a look at the lower brands... Wait Wayfair is the one that's Wayfair, me. That's an right, that's very inexpensive. Run. And that's a stock that went from beginning of the year, started at 40 bucks, traded $84, I think like a month, month and a half ago, printed 60 today. They're coming off, a, I would consider, a disappointing second quarter. They reported about a week or so ago. Guidance wasn't great. Huge short interest, but to your point, I mean, are they now going to have the same dance that Restoration Hardware did a year, year and a half ago? RH figured it out. Because they, I think, because they cater to a different client. 
I'm not certain Wayfair can figure this one out, though. All right, let's stick with retail here. The big department stores all gearing up for earnings this week, and they could see some pretty big moves. Let's get to Mike Coe out in Austin with the options action. Hey, Mike. Hi there. Yeah, so JCPenney is implying a move of about 13% in the options market. Of course, at just over $2, it's basically an option itself. Macy's is implying a move of about 9%, and Kohl's Stores and Nordstrom are both implying a move of approximately 8%. Now, Macy's saw double the average put volume on the, today's down day. Probably not that surprising. But Kohl's Store actually saw double the average call volume. And what they were doing was buying the 41 and a half calls that expire this week, selling the 45 against it, one by two. What that is is a bet that the stock is going to trade up, actually, out of earnings, up to that $45 level by the end of the week. Contrary bet there. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. Mike Co. in Austin for us. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, Royal Caribbean cruising to all-time highs after its earnings report this morning. And after what you hear with the CEO just told Jim Cramer about millennials, you might be buying the stock, too. Cramer will join us live in just a few minutes. Plus, the political shakeup in Saudi Arabia sending oil prices soaring this week. RPC's Halima Croft says the rally is not over yet. She'll tell us just how high she sees it going when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Royal Caribbean hitting an all-time high on strong earnings. The stock, in fact, is up 65% in the last year. Our own Jim Cramer is in San Francisco, where he just sat down with the CEO. Hi, Jim. Great to have you with us. Oh, Melissa, I love being on your show. Hi to the gang. What a quarter for Royal Caribbean. What a quarter. And the CEO, this great interview, he said something about millennials that was just fascinating. So let's hear what he said, and I'll get your reaction on the other side. The millennials and the Gen Xers, they bring their parents, and once they try us, we own them, and we own their parents. So that is the whole thing. The new ships, the new experiences, the new technology, all of those things keep people in touch, allow people to uh, FaceTime, allow people to Instagram from the ship. All of those things is what is driving this, frankly, incredible strength. We're really quite excited to see it, and it's, I must say it's very fulfilling. He didn't say Snapchat from the ship. And, you know, what's, what's really interesting about this, Jim, is RCL, the millennial play, where Snap we're seeing get hammered in the after-hour session. Maybe that's not the millennial play. What's going on here? Well, I, I'm not quite sure that Snap's a, a stock or a company. I mean, it, I mean, no more than you can buy shares in, uh, in Animal House. I mean, what are you going to do? I, it, it really is. It, it's distinguishing itself as being distinctly uninvestable. It, it's got that blue apron taint to it which is really saying something. Whereas, you know, Richard Famous famous created ships that are just great backgrounds. I'm at one market. I mean, if I were really into Instagram, I would be be redoing everything about myself. I would just sell, you know, look, this is a major makeover for me. That's what people are using cruises for, Melissa. They are making themselves over by taking pictures on a cruise. Yep. All right, let's... uh... Talk take two here. In the after-hour session, Jim, we're seeing a huge pop on the back of a big earnings beat. In fact, the stock is up about 8% right now. You've got the CEO on tomorrow. So what's your take on the quarter and the strength? Well, Strauss-Selnick has figured it out, which is that he's got unbelievable content. You've got Grand Theft Auto. It's just been terrific. It's no longer seasonal. It's a secular growth. By the way, I think it's going to bring up Activision and Electronic Arts, both of which have been slammed, because I think Strauss is going to tell a story that maybe there are good times not, comp- not as competitive times ahead. The other two guys are, t- their stocks shouldn't be down. This is a great business. Jim, there's a bounce in your step because your Eagles are kicking serious, you <laughs> know what. So I'll give you that. Well done. But let me ask you this. 
even with the move in Royal Caribbean, RCL's doubled now in a year and a half or so. I still think it's cheap on valuation. Do you still think it's cheap? Oh, yes, I do. And they raise numbers. And I got to tell you something, Guy. This is the most heavily shorted stock of the group. I mean, I remember people tell me, look, what a layup. It's got Caribbean in its name. I mean, you know, Caribbean got hit by hurricanes, five hurricanes. We got a short Royal Caribbean. And, you know, Guy, the business isn't that simple, is it? Nothing in life is that simple, Jim. As a Giant fan, I've come to learn <laughs> that things are just not as simple as they would appear on, on, at, at, at face value. So, no, I'm with you, J.C., but I'm always with no, you, my San, man. The San Francisco Giants are good. The San no, 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 Giants. no, 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 no. Oh, the, the New York Giants. Unfortunately. I mean, like, I, Manning? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Manning, to, uh, Manning, to, Manning to who? Not Zach Ertz. Why rub it in, Jim? Come on. We already yeah. let you know. Uh, because I rub it in because you know how long I've suffered. Do you think we've ever won a Super Bowl? Do we never even won a Super Bowl? We won an NFC item championship in 50. We're but not, we're not going to concede I'm, that to you I'm just yet either. I'm very happy about how we're doing. I'm very happy about how we're doing. Jim, thank very you. Good. Great to see you. Jim thank Kramer. you for having me. Anytime. <laughs> and do not miss a very special Mad Money live from San Francisco with the one and only Jim Kramer tonight. At 6 p.m. Eastern time, what a lineup he's got tonight. You won't want to miss that show. All right, still ahead, the corruption crackdown in Saudi Arabia sending crude oil to two-year highs this week. But is it too late to get in on the rally? RBC's Halima Croft will be here to explain. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. It is the ultimate fight for the Iron Throne as a massive purge of princes and high-ranking political figures through Saudi Arabia into a frenzy, sent oil prices skyrocketing this week. Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman ordered the arrest of 11 princes, all his family members, four sitting ministers, and 38 former ministers in what is supposed to be an, an, a major anti-corruption campaign. Talk about bad blood and a storyline that sounds a little too similar to the popular TV series, The Game of Thrones. Our next guest is the one who drew that very comparison. And a note to clients on Sunday, Halima Croft is a global head of commodity strategy at RBC Capital Markets. She joins us now. Halima, welcome. We've had a little bit of time to digest yes. what this means. What do you think this I means? I mean, I had just been in Saudi the week before at right. Davos in the desert, and I think it was a stunning development one week later that would repurpose the hotel from being a conference hotel to a, a jail. A jail, the penitentiary. <laughs> I mean, this is a stunning development. We've never seen such a large mass detention of powerful financial figures, senior princes, and it's obviously raising concerns of investors about what is the overall outlook for this country. You have a 32-year-old, the millennial play, Crown Prince, he's trying to consolidate power. Yes, there are big corruption issues in the country, but this does look like an effort to really make his mark and squash dissent. I like the um, statement that he came out through the state news agency today, MBS, that is, the Crown Prince, saying essentially that he doesn't want any of the companies or investments um, held by these detained people to have any sort of disruption in businesses. And yet at the same time, there's a massive freeze of bank accounts. Bank accounts. Exactly. I don't understand how that works. I mean, again, do I think that this was perfectly rolled out? Probably not. Um, the question is really going forward. Does he have control over the situation? Is Saudi National Guard going to be completely loyal? Are there princes who could be sources of dissent? So I think we're going to need to watch over the coming weeks and months to see how much control he's exerting over the country. I wouldn't want to bet against him because he's been able to bend the bureaucracy to his will. Right. But this is a real new element of instability internally. Is betting against him betting on a, ri a further rise in the price of oil? I mean, 
betting against him would be instability in Saudi Arabia. Right. And that makes the markets very, very nervous. But what also should make the markets nervous is the ballistic missile strike that almost hit Riyadh over the weekend. That is adding to new regional tensions. And Mohammed bin Salman came out and essentially said this was an act of war by the Iranians. And if you're going to be that difficult and tough on your cousins, you have to wonder how he's going to deal with the Iranians. So where does Brent go? I mean, I would watch for do we have more instability. For WTI, we're looking at 59 to 62 mm -hmm. is a kind of a tough range to break out of. So I think we would really need to see further deterioration in the security environment. Another thing to watch, though, everyone has stopped talking about Venezuela. But Venezuela signaled yeah. last week they need to restructure that debt. It's going to be very difficult to restructure the debt given the new U.S. sanctions. So we could be looking at a looming default of the national oil company in Venezuela in coming weeks. Wow. Halima, thank you. Good to see you. Thank Halima you. Halima Croft, RBC. Best value in oil right now. Well, interesting. Consolidation of power in emerging markets is often a positive for those markets. Mm. So um, and when I look at the oil space, though, the things that are the aggressive leverage plays in oil right now, you're going for drillers, you're actually going for oil services. Um, I think the other direction, Conoco has gotten everything right in terms of taking down CapEx, giving cash back to investors into Investor Day. Stay there. Up next, check out shares of Snap, down about 15%. Gene Munster, just heard something very interesting on the call. He'll tell us what that is right after this break. Let's get a final check on shares of Snap. The stock down about 16%. Gene Munster, let's get back to you. Blue Ventures on the red phone. What's your main takeaway here from the call? The main takeaway is expect some big changes to the Snap product. They won't give the timing about the redesign of the app. Apple's True Depth camera, which is on the iPhone 10, they mentioned that. It sounds like that the current app doesn't really fully optimize that, but I think you're going to see some, uh, some measurable changes, some big changes coming, and they hope to expand their addressable market. Uh, so it's a camera company. It doesn't market itself on the, on, in the IPO, and yet it's not up to date with the latest edition of the iPhone for AR. A key way to drive monetization. Well, I think, uh, I, I think there's more features that can use that new camera. It will right. use it. But as far as fully optimizing it, there's some improvements they can make. Last question. How did Evan Spiegel do in the Q&A part? It's a tough, uh, tough uh, road ahead there. I think he did a good job at least cooling people's, uh, some of their concerns. I would give this probably a C- minus if I was going to grade the quarter, though. Wow. All right, Gene. Great to see you. Thanks for your analysis, as always. Gene Munster of Loop Thank Venture, C-minus on Snap. Ouch. That's failing, basically. Um, time for final trade. Tip. Yeah, I mentioned Conoco. I think this is a great play, conservative play, but go with an oil. Speakers. Low rates. Where do you go? You look at the utes, and I'm not talking millennials. The utilities, XLU, oh. you buy those. <laughs> Grasso. Twitter, I'm uh, still long. Finally got it sea legs. Hey. Speaking of sea legs, have your Dramamine ready, but Royal Caribbean. <laughs> Thank you what I did there. See what nice. we did. Nice. Tie it all together, Millennial. I'm yeah. Melissa Lee. Thanks so much for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Special edition of Mad Money from San Francisco with Jim Cramer begins right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.